So guys, tonight we are going to be continuing our series on the parables and stories that Jesus told in order to reveal the mysteries in his kingdom. We know that people who refuse to be told the truth have to be shown the truth. And this is where these stories or parables come in. When someone refuses to be told, for example, that there's furniture in a dark room, you have to, the parables act as the light that you turn on to show them it really is there. Does that make sense? That's what the parables are. You're, someone doesn't believe this truth you're trying to tell them, so Jesus tells a story to turn the lights on, to show you it really is there. And so he says that my kingdom is a mystery because people have always had wrong ideas about me and my kingdom. And still to this day, people have many wrong ideas about God and his kingdom. For example, that it's boring because God isn't boring. We are. Living life with God is anything but boring. If it is for you, you're definitely not living life with God. So I, for example, am extremely uh, extremely addicted to a place called Nothing Bunt Cakes. It's very high in carbs, not high enough in protein, but I love it. Nonetheless, I just have a love for sweets. So because of this love I have, every once in a while, I muster up the courage to try baking for myself. So it's, you know, to save money. So because, uh, uh, but almost every time something goes wrong, I put in all this effort, grocery shopping for ingredients, all the detailed step-by-step instructions, and then the waiting game as I potentially watch my masterpiece get burned alive. And one time, <clears throat> I did all of this. I actually invited my wife to do it with me when we were dating. Well, she not wasn't my wife then. And when it came to the end of this grueling process of baking and preparing, I went to take a bite out of this masterpiece of a cookie that I anticipated eating. But what <laughs> me and my wife didn't realize was that we mixed, we mixed up the ingredients. There were supposed to be six tablespoons of sugar and one teaspoon of salt. We mixed them up. And so immediately this cookie goes into my mouth. And it was like I stuck a sweaty, nasty, unwashed foot in my mouth. I was horrified. I was scarred. And my spirit for baking was broken. And there was nothing I could do at that point to save my cookies. They were full of salt. And all there was left to do was throw them away and start over again. And this is... This is what I'm trying to get at, that there are things in life that that take a lot of time. They take a lot of hard work, a lot of emotional effort and a lot of sacrifice. But there is one thing everyone in here puts time and effort into. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is or where your future is headed. Tonight's parable talks about something that each one of us has. Every one of us puts effort into and that something none of us ever want to fall apart. It's relationships. Friendships, relationships, whatever they might be, romantic or not, doesn't matter. The problem, like my baking horror story, is that usually all it takes is one corrupting element, one mixed up problem, and the whole thing can be ruined. And Jesus, as I invite, I believe, Clay, wherever you might be, to come read our scripture for tonight, um, what Jesus wants to reveal is a mystery about relationships that we don't quite know yet, but he knows. So like I said, I'm gonna invite Clay to come read our scriptures tonight. 
Matthew 13, 33 reads, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in the tree and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Let's pray and we'll get into this. Jesus, <clears throat> there is a realm that we want to see into. Holy Spirit, without your help, we cannot do it. Lord, you have used your servants in the past. Would you use me tonight? Would you be here tonight? Open my eyes and open all of our eyes to see these mysteries of your kingdom and how they fit into this reality and that this reality is broken without them. We need you, God, and we need you, Holy Spirit, or else our eyes cannot see these truths and we cannot see the beauty of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says, first, the kingdom of God is like leaven. <clears throat> when someone is making bread dough, you can't tell until it's fully cooked and finished if someone put leaven in it or yeast. I don't know how many bakers we have in here, but you can't tell till it's cooked if someone used yeast in it. What Jesus is saying is there is a spiritual realm that cannot be seen with the naked eye. But that what you do has an effect on and in turn has an effect on your relationships. Has anyone ever really been a part of a natural disaster before or in the middle of one? Oh, yeah. Like what? A hurricane? A fire. Both of those sound horrible, but I think what I'm about to say is also horrible. But me, I've, I've never been stuck in one and I don't want to be stuck in one. You guys are amazing, brave souls um, in Las Cruces. If it snows, <clears throat> the public schools think it's a natural, natural disaster. In the Southwest, when it rains, drivers think it's a natural disaster. But there is one in particular I never want to experience. It's a sinkhole. I've watched videos of them and they're terrifying. One moment, everything is normal. And the next moment, the ground is falling out from beneath you. It's almost... Positive. I'm almost positive that every other natural disaster gives you some sort of warning that it's coming, you know, maybe a hint of it. Earthquakes might be the exception. I don't really know. But sinkholes, you don't see them until it's too late. Everything above ground seems normal, but something is happening underground that no one can see. And to put it simply, sinkholes happen because underground there are these cracks and pores in the earth that acidic water continues to break apart and build bigger and bigger cavities or holes or pockets. And the water breaks them up um, and continues to create them with nothing in them. And eventually these holes get so big that they can't hold the weight above them and the ground collapses. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, don't put yeast in my friendship bread. This bread, this three measures of meal, which we will get to in a little bit, it symbolizes friendship and relationship with God. And in friendship with God, he wants the real you. He doesn't want some made up story of who you think you are. He doesn't want some idea of how you think you are. He doesn't want you to put yeast in the bread. There are these fibers in bread <clears throat> that hold it together. They're white and they interlock throughout the bread. I've dissected many loaves before. And so I've seen it. I've studied it well. And yeast makes this bread 
It spreads it. It stretches it. It makes it expand. It doesn't actually create more bread. It just stretches what's already there. It makes it look like there's more, even though there's not. It actually broke it apart inside to make it look like something more was there. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be more than you are, more than who you are. You don't have to puff yourself up, expand yourself with pride. Pride is making something out to be more than what it really is. It's thinking highly of yourself, very, very unrealistically highly or very unrealistically low of yourself, which in turn doesn't actually add to you. It just makes you hollow. It creates these air pockets that from the outside look like there's something there, but inside there's not. People look at you and they think you really are what you give off you are. But you know you're not. And God knows you're not. But when your relationships are built on you being someone you're not or on thinking highly of yourself more, than, more so than you ought to, they're like houses being built on potential sinkholes waiting to fall. You're building friendships and relationships by giving off to others that you are more than you really are. The real you has been puffed up to seem smarter than you really are, more confident than you really are, or more driven with purpose than you actually are. Or more have life together than you actually do. And one day your friendship or relationship is just going to fall through. Because it's not even who you really are. Because we have a distorted view of who we are. And the condition of our heart. So it's like, it's kind of like being drunk. You don't see the world rightly. It distorts your vision. You don't see reality clearly. You see it differently than everyone else. So decisions made in drunkenness often collapse on themselves because they weren't made with a sober sense of reality. It's the same thing with friendships that are built on the idea of who we think we are, even though that's not who we really are. Eventually, one day, it'll collapse on itself when the other person realizes it. So, but Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, I see those things. And my relationships aren't built that way. My relationships don't have that. So then too, Jesus goes on to say, it's like leaven or yeast that a woman hid. She hid it. She hid it somewhere. We all know there are too many, I guess, examples or experiences we've probably had of hiding things from our parents in high school. I doubt it that none of us have ever not hidden something, small or big. Those are obvious. You don't hide something unless you want to keep it in the dark. That's the very nature of hiding something. It's intending that it would never be seen. Its very nature is dishonest. It's intending. It's like it's empty. It's a hollow spot. It's pretending that something is there that really isn't. And the only one that knows it is you. So what is it that people hide most in relationships, friendships or otherwise? I had a girlfriend my junior year of high school I didn't really have the courage to talk to her when I saw her. So I waited for my brother to try to talk to her. And then I swooped in. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's what happened. And when I saw this girl, I liked the way she looked. And I liked the way it would make me look if she was my girlfriend and waited for me after all my baseball games. And so I thought a lot about why it was good for me, for her to be my girlfriend. So fast forward two years later, my freshman year of college was over and I decided Hey, I want to play baseball again. So I told her, hey, uh, 
you're going to need to move back with your parents whom you don't really like because I want to move back to Crucis to train for what I really like, which is baseball. It didn't really matter what she wanted. Needless to say, we broke up by the end of summer. Why? I don't know if you caught it, but from the very beginning of the relationship, my motive was me and my pleasure and what I wanted. Motive is why you do the things you do and who you do them for. We all have motive for everything. Motive is the single greatest thing hidden in all relationships. We, we all start friendships for someone or something. We don't start it for no reason at all. That doesn't happen. And if we're honest, they rarely, if ever, start for anyone other than ourselves. Why? Why do we actually start friendships? Why do we actually start a relationship? Do we look at the other person and say, you know, I want to be with you because it's what's best for you? If we're honest, the answer is probably a, a big fat no. It's not often about them. It's often about us. It's about what is good for us. We assume that because they like us, it must be good for them. They meet our needs. And some people who are very devout boyfriends or girlfriends might say, well, I guess I'm tracking with you, but what about how much I like to be there for them? I sacrifice much for them. Like, I, I sacrifice to show them I care. Like, I do give myself for them. I give them my time, my emotions, and my money, anything that it takes to show them I love them. Well, think about this for a second. <clears throat> so one day in a kingdom, there was a carrot farmer. He has this small little plot of land. He's doing his daily thing, picking up some carrots, harvesting or however you do that with carrots. And one day he goes and he picks one and it's the biggest carrot he's ever harvested. It immediately becomes his most prized possession, his greatest joy. He's like, I've never done this before. And his first thought is, I should give this to the king. I love the king. He treats us so well. He's so good to us and he's so amazing. I'm going to go take it to him. So ecstatic, he goes to the kingdom, gets escorted in. And he says, King, I was, I was harvesting today and I, I saw this. It's my most prized possession, the best thing I've ever done. And I, I wanted to give it to you. And the king says, wow, imagine what you could do with more land. I'm going to give you 20% of the kingdom's land to do what you're doing, but everywhere. And so he's ecstatic. And while this is happening, there's a nobleman standing in the floor, whatever, whatever, the throne room. And he's like, wow, like if he would do that for a carrot, I wonder what he would do for more. So the next day, the nobleman comes in and he brings his most prized horse, the horse that has run every, won every race in their time, whatever, greatest horse ever, none to ever be like. And he says, king, this is the best horse I've ever bred in my life. I wanted to give it to you. I thought of you. And the king says, oh, wow, that's so thoughtful. Thank you. And then he signals him to leave. And the nobleman's like, what? Like, so he's confused and distraught and he starts walking out. The king can tell that he doesn't understand what's happening. And the king says, sir, I understand that you don't understand. So let me explain. The carrot farmer gave me his greatest carrot for me. You, sir, gave me your greatest horse for you. This is often why we sacrifice for our people. 
or for our relationship, our friends, or so on. We selfishly give unselfishly to others. Ultimately, it's for us. We want to meet their needs because it keeps them happy with us and therefore keeps us happy. What if, how about this one? What if the best thing for your boyfriend or girlfriend, what if it was to not be with you? Would you do it? What if the best thing for your friends was not to have you as a friend? Because you're a problem. Would you let that happen? Have we ever even asked ourselves, what is best for them? And am I giving them that? Or am I keeping them from it? That's the thing hidden most in relationships and friendships. It's the why. It's this leaven that a woman hid. I love books. <clears throat> There's a, what's it called? I like spending time with these old dead friends who Jesus used to change people's lives for all of eternity. They are the Navy SEALs of Christianity. Not wussies. They're real men. Real men and women of God. And so I used to go to the used bookstores here in town so I could go find these authors. But I would find so many that we love and I didn't have enough money for them all. So I would hide some of them. I would hide them behind in like other sections. And then I would go back two months later and I would forget where I hid them. Or I'd forget I hid them at all. We so naturally hide why we do what we do and who we do them for that we don't remember we ever hid them in the first place. We don't think we've hidden anything because the lie has become our reality. Why are we friends with the people we are friends with? Have you ever asked, why are they friends with you? Why are my friends friends with me? <clears throat> are we in friendships and relationships because it's what we want or because it's what they need? And lastly, Jesus finishes the entire parable and says this, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman hid in three measures of flour or three measures of meal. So what is three measures of meal or flour? Is it, is it like three Chick-fil-A sandwiches or like a 32 count nugget? The idea of three measures of meal <clears throat> is that it was Hebrew symbolism, like I said earlier, for friendship and relationship with God. And without going too much in it, the people listening to Jesus would have, would have known that instantly. He was referring to Genesis chapter 18 when this man Abraham and his wife Sarah were at their tent and they had these visitors, one of whom they found out was God himself in angelic form. And they prepared for him three measures of meal, of flour. It's referring to the law of Moses, the, the meal offering, for those of you who know it. This parable is a lamp, not only into the room of relationships, but specifically into the relationship with God. The same principles still apply. <clears throat> there is leaven. There is something false hid. Where? In three measures of flour. In our friendship with God. And most often in our relationships. And Jesus is saying, when you bring something false, something destructive like yeast, something that breaks apart to make it look like there's more there than what really is, like a sinkhole, it just gets worse. The one thing doesn't just stay one thing. It ruins the entire relationship. My one act of selfishness from the beginning with that girl in high school carried on through the entire relationship until it collapsed on itself. 
and ended because of selfishness. When the motive, and please hear this part very carefully, when the motive of our friendship and relationships is us, we are sacrificing those people on the altar of our own pleasure. We are sacrificing other eternal souls on the altar of our pleasure. We will sacrifice them and their time and their money and their their hearts and their souls for us. Their life and time are being spent and used on us. So there's a passage in Jeremiah where when God says to his people, these people are being crazy. They're like sacrificing kids to like the bales. And this will mess with your mind because it should. God says, thus says the Lord, I never asked you to sacrifice your children. Nor did it ever even enter my mind that you would do such a thing. This is the God of the universe saying it never crossed my mind that you would do something so horrible. Now, some people want to walk down the hole of how bad people can get. But I think we know that we've seen enough of it in the news, so we don't need to. What I want us to go down for a second is this. What is it that God thinks about? What fascinates him about us? What does he like to think about when it comes to you? Does he like to think about all the ways that you could fail him? If if that is what he thought, then it would have crossed his mind that these people were going to sacrifice children. If God looked at you and was just looking at you and looking for where you were going to fail, then that verse wouldn't have been written four times in Jeremiah. It never entered my mind that you would do this. So when you think about God and his daily thoughts about you, what is it that he hopes for? What does he think about? Well, we know it's because almost everyone quotes this verse in Jeremiah 29. We'll put the two together. It never crossed my mind that you would do this. Why? Because I know the dreams that I dream about you, declares the Lord. The the plans I have for you, the, the word literally means dream. I dream about you. I daydream about your future. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I'm not out to get you. I'm out to help you. For I know what I hope happens in your life. Think about this. The God of the heavens will look at you. God will have his eyes full of fire, fire that melts the evil in us when he looks at us. But he doesn't look at you primarily to find fault in you. He doesn't. He's looking at you so your faults will disappear so that your leaven will disappear. Do you see the difference here? You actually can't hide your fault from him anyway. You just can't. When his eyes are on you, it's not primarily to expose you. It's primarily to heal you. I remember when I first felt, and I can look back on it now, I know the exact time, when I first felt God's eyes on me. It wasn't this choir singing moment where the, the, the heavens opened and there was a light and I felt freedom. I felt like I was a cockroach trying to scurry out of the light. It was like light came on me and I was trying to get out of the way. But it wasn't because God was looking to crush me. Remember, for example, Adam and Eve, they were the ones that cut the relationship with God. 
And then he comes into the garden looking for them. And they, like little cockroaches, went and hid under some fig leaves. They were hiding because they thought his attitude towards them changed because they changed. But God loves to have dreams for your lives. And people who are filled with his spirit, the kind of thoughts he has, they also have dreams for other people's lives. So as I close, let me finish this way and I'll invite Justin up. The Lord is never dishonest with us. I think that's actually why many of us can't stand to be still in his presence because he won't lie to us. He won't let us think we're someone we're not. That's why we don't like to sit with him. We want our minds to go everywhere else because his eyes on us are like, it's like light on a cockroach. We want to get out of there. He loves us too much to lie to us. The Lord doesn't hide leaven or anything destructive in his friendship with us. Instead, he comes with absolute honesty and his eyes of fire that are on you, fire that exposes that which we have been hiding from him and others. And often we try to scurry out of the light like little cockroaches, not wanting to be seen. But if we will just stand in his line of sight, in the light and endure, he is trying to expose our faults primarily so he can help us. The sign of a godly person is that their attention is drawn away from their next steps and their wants, and it's drawn to what God has in store for other people. A godly person no longer thinks only about themselves, but they have dreams for other people. They look at other people and think, what is best for them? What is best for you? What is best for this person in Corbett? What does God dream about for their lives? It's wonderful. He laid down his life so that we could lay down ours. You start having dreams for what God could do in the lives of the people you care about. Jesus is saying that if your friendship with him is full of a me first attitude, then so are all your other relationships. If you dig long enough, you'll find the sinkholes. You'll see that leaven has been hidden in the bread of friendship. But if we will let the Lord look at us, if we will let his eyes search us, then he will show us these faults we have to get rid of so we can live out these dreams he has for us. He has dreams for your friends. He has dreams for whoever you're in a relationship with. He has dreams for your family. He dreams about their future. And he wants you to dream for them as well. He wants what is best for them. He dreams about what is best for them. And he wants you to choose what is best for them. But you can't until you let him choose what is best for you. God doesn't want to be friends with you because he needs you. You can come up. He's not begging for more friends. He's not worried about going back home and being all embarrassed like, oh, those little little Kafa guys, they don't want to be my friend anymore. My friends are going to think I'm all embarrassed and I'm a loser now. Like he doesn't, he doesn't think that at all. He doesn't 
need you. He doesn't need me. We are the ones who need him. He wants to be friends with us because he wants us. You're not doing him any great big favors saying, oh, look, I'm this special person. Like I'm God's gift to the world. There are some people who like to re-gift that sometimes, but he wants you and he has dreams for you. So you can do this however you want, but for these last five minutes, I want God to search us. It was heavy on my heart that I wanted to sit here. You can come to the altar, you can stand and sing, you can do it however you like, but even just for five minutes, we'll still be under 60 minutes. I want you to let God look at you because there's nothing you can hide. So during these next few minutes, let him look at you. Don't run away to your other thoughts. Don't scurry away from the light. And we're going to trust that God is going to do in us what only he can do. Things that I can't explain, I can't say when they're happening, but he does. And he is so good. And if there's anyone we can trust to search us, it's him. So we'll just, yeah, I'll come back up here and just let him search you. Have your mind on him. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Holy Spirit, there is something that only you can do. We cannot, with all of our practical steps, with all of our intellect, with all of our whatever it is, we cannot see the things that you see. We cannot expose hearts, our own hearts, like you can. Lord, will you please bring people to you tonight? May hearts be still in your presence for the first time. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every person? May you give each one eyes to see into your realm, into your kingdom. Unveil the cross for everyone here. Unveil what it's like to be friends with you. Unveil what we have actually been like as friends to everyone else. Jesus, please expose us. May you search us, God, and may we be still as you do so. We trust you. You are so good and so worthy of any shame, any embarrassment we may have. Jesus, we trust you. So please search us, God, because only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.